Thank you so much for joining us today at Our Savior's Church, where we are one church meeting in six different locations. And our goal is to help you on your spiritual journey to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference in the lives around you. If you'd like to learn more about Our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com. Well, let me just start off by saying, we missed you. Okay, let me start off one more time. This is like a bad family reunion. Okay, we missed you. And guess what? We're back. Come on, we're back together again. I, I, I miss so many of our dear friends. I would pull in, I pulled in the other day to pick up some food for one of my children at, um, at Cane's, and a precious African American girl was standing there and she was outside taking orders because the line was so long and you couldn't go in. And I, I pulled up and she, I, she, I thought she was going to say, you know, do you want a caniac, a caniac, corn finger, five? She looked at me, she goes, Pastor, when are we going back to church? When are we going back to church? And I am so grateful that we are all back together again. I, 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 there's a lot of junk going on in the world. And what, what, what we don't realize is, is there is a battle going on for our culture, but there's also a battle going on for your mind and your attention. Do, do you know, scientifically, I discovered this week that when you hear something negative, according to a neurologist and therapist, it sticks to your mind. But if something good happens to you, you have to dwell on it for at least 15 seconds or you forget it. Now, most of what we're hearing all around is, it's negative. It's negative. And what we have to do is, we have to remember that where our minds go, there our thoughts go, there our emotions go, and one follows right after the other. The thing that I love about the Word of God is that it's powerful. It's powerful. The Bible says that the word of God is sharper than a two-edged sword and that it divides soul and spirit. That means your mind, will, and emotion versus who you are. As a matter of fact, when you hear the Bible being preached, how many of you get inspired? How many of you say that? Man, I felt inspired. You know, some of you that are Cajuns, you go, I got the frissons. And, 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 and what the, it just means you got the chills. You got... Well, why is it when you hear the word of God, you feel that way? Why do you feel inspired? Do you know why? Because the word inspired means God breathed. First Timothy says all of God's word is inspired. It means God breathed. So every time we are in a place where we can hear the word of God preached to us, or we enjoy worship with other believers, you know what you feel, that inspiration you feel? It's God breathing on you. And that's why you feel renewed. And that's why the hills melt like wax in the presence of the Lord. And that's why a garment of praise lifts off a spirit of heaviness. And so those of us that have been in church, all of, since I've been in church since I was 14 years old. I've missed more church in the last three months than I have in 46 years. How many of you the same way? You miss more church in the last three months than you have in, in, in all, all the previous years of your life. But how many of you know that God's word has something to say about everything that we're going through in life right now? 
Let me say that one more time. How many of you know that God's word has something to say about everything that's going on in the world right now? As a matter of fact, it's actually not even new. We are obeying the great commission. It's what Jesus told his disciples. As a matter of fact, Jesus decided to build a worldwide movement and he knew that for thousands of years it would continue to grow and change lives and he began by choosing 12 people and they were called his disciples. His disciples. And do you know what Jesus did to fulfill that? He chose 12 people that none of us would choose. As a matter of fact, to put it in current context, Jesus said in River Ranch to a bunch of affluent businessmen, I'm going to start a worldwide movement that's going to change the world. And then he left there and went to Delcom and started choosing. <laughs> he went to Delcom where everybody was wearing Delcom slippers. You know what that is. White rubber boots about to hear. Uh, Delcom Reeboks. Are y'all from Delcom? Oh, okay. And he went and he chose people that were uneducated. He chose people that were not geniuses. And yet he chose them and he chose those people and he began a training program that would last 36 months and he said, based upon what I'm going to do in the next 36 months and the people that I choose, the world is going to be changed. How many of you want to make a difference with your life? Many years ago, probably the highlight moment of my career is traveling, speaking to people about Christ as an evangelist was in 1994. I know it was a long time ago. Some of you weren't even born. But I had the opportunity to speak with Billy Graham in the Georgia Dome. I was the guest speaker that would speak and share my story for 10 minutes before he came and preached. The first night speaker was Johnny Cash. The third night speaker was Jimmy Carter. And the second night speaker was the Mexicoon. And and. I was so excited because I wanted to know how I could really help people. And so I, I thought Billy Graham has preached to more people than any single human being alive in history. He preached to hundreds of millions of people. He preached to one live audience of almost 2 million people. Just a live audience, not TV, just a live audience. And so I, I wanted to ask him, how you could really help people and see people come to Christ. And so they told me that I would meet him an hour before, that I would get to the Georgia Dome and they would bring me over to a room and I would raid and Billy Graham would come walking in the door and that he would talk with me and he would pray with me and then we would end up visiting and then walk out on the platform and, and, and then, then the crusade would begin. So I'm in the room and I'm waiting and I've been waiting. I mean, I've been waiting. I'm going like, I got my question. I'm going to ask him. This man has affected more people. He's pastored five or six presidents. He's counseled people from all over the world. As a matter of fact, for some of you that are younger, you don't even know what this means, but there was a magazine called Life Magazine. How many of you old enough to remember Life Magazine? And Life Magazine would ask, who are the five most influential men or women in the world? Billy Graham was in the top three for 40 years. That's how, that's how popular and influential he was. And so I was going to ask him, how do you really make a difference? So sure enough, the door opens up and Cliff Barrows comes walking in. Now, for those of you who know anything about Billy Graham, Cliff Barrows was the MC. He was the pastor Eugene, who was with Billy Graham for 50 years. And so he came walking in and I said, is, 
is, is, is Dr. Graham coming? And he said, no, he's been visiting with Evander Holyfield all day long. And he could tell by looking at my face, my whole countenance just dropped. And he said, well, uh, I was sent here to pray with you. And then he'll shake your hand when he comes by on the platform. I said, okay. I just, I just had a question for him. He said, well, ask me. I've been with him for 50 years. I said, okay. Um, I know this might sound ridiculous, but, but I really want to change the world. I want God to use me to help people come to know Christ and to make a difference like Billy Graham has. I was going to ask him how to do that. And he said, well, Jacob, that's easy. I can tell you what he would say. I said, well, what would he say? He said, he would tell you, Jacob, don't try to change the world. Try to affect the people that are surrounding your life right now. And whatever God wants to happen then God will do the rest afterwards. And I'm like, that wasn't what I wanted to hear. You want me to go to Delcom and choose 12 people? I'm thinking, go on national TV. I'm thinking, start a worldwide movement. I'm thinking, start writing books. I'm thinking, you know, I can see Jacob Aranza, the Brown Preacher Incorporated. I mean, I, I, mean, I see it all. But you know what? I shouldn't have been surprised because that was the plan that Jesus had from the very beginning. We're going to go now and look at exactly what Jesus said because that's how we began this church 21 years ago. We began taking people one-on-one -on -one and discipling them. As a matter of fact, for the first 10, 12 years of this church, you couldn't even go to a restaurant around. There wasn't a Starbucks or CeCe's. Any restaurant you went into, there was one of the men or women from our church with their Bible open, sitting across from someone who was new in their faith, and they were teaching them scripture and teaching them how to write out identity cards of who you are in Christ and teaching them about what the Bible says about sin and forgiveness and freedom, about marriage, about raising children. And they were just sitting there and they were discipling them. Black and white, rich and poor, in every shape and size that you could imagine. So let's go to the words of Jesus. Jesus has now implemented his 36-month training program. And then he dies. He's raised from the dead. And after he was raised from the dead, many people don't realize this, for 40 days, Jesus appeared to different people. He appeared to over 500 different people over the next 40 days. And finally, in his last conversation with them, which I'm going to read to you, he says what he says to them. And then while he's talking to his followers, he begins to be taken away right back up into heaven where he came from. And they watch him and they're standing there gazing into the sky. But here's what he said right before that happened in Acts chapter one, verse seven and eight. And he told his disciples who were asking Jesus, well, when are you going to come back and restore the whole world and, and, and make heaven on earth? Here's what he said. And he told them, you don't get to know the time. Timing is the father's business, but what you'll get is the, you'll get something, the Holy Spirit. God is three part. God, the father, God, the, and God, the, how many of you pray to God? God, help me. 
Okay, how many of you pray to Jesus? How many of you pray to the Holy Spirit? He's a person. Just like God, just like Jesus, the Holy Spirit. So he says, I'm not going to tell you the good times and the bad times. I'm not going to tell you everything you're going to go through, but I'm going to give you something that's going to help you through all of those times. I'm going to give you what you get is what? Say it loud. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will be able to be my witnesses in and Judea. Now, both of those were great news. You know what Jerusalem was? Like, like what, what Rome is to Catholics, Jerusalem is to Jews. It's the sacred and most holy place. So he goes, yeah, you're going to start right here. Okay, they're going great. That's good. And then he says, Judea, that's where other Jews are. They go, that's good. This is great. And then he says, and what's the next word? Whoa, 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 wait, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Samaria. Do you know what Samaria was? Samaria was a place hundreds of years before where Jews moved, and when they moved there, they were commanded not to marry outside of the Jewish nation, and they began marrying other people that were non-Jews called Gentiles. Every non-Jew was a Gentile, and they watered down their spiritual heritage, and to Jews, they were worse than dogs. They were the worst type of people there were. As a matter of fact, a Jew would walk around Samaria. A Jew, if you were a Samaritan, you were walking this way, he would walk around you. It didn't matter what your skin color was. He would walk right straight around you. And he says, I want you to go to Samaria, to the people you've hated all your life, to the people you were raised from the time that you were a child, that you could remember. Don't touch a Samaritan. Don't come close to a Samaritan. Stay away from those people. And do you know why he told him he was going to give him the Holy Spirit to do that? Because only the Holy Spirit can make you love people you don't normally love. Listen carefully to me. They cannot make a law that will make you love somebody in your heart you don't love. You know why people get divorced? Not because somebody's black, brown, red, yellow, or white. It's because they hate them in their heart. How many of you here got relatives you don't even talk to? No, don't point at people. Just raise your hand. Okay, you know, they're your relatives. They got your last name. They, 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 they talk like you. They look like you, and you don't want to have anything to do with them. And so he says, the only way that you can do this to reach all of these people that you've stayed away from all of your life, the only way you can do that is for the Holy Spirit to come and live inside of you, and you will be my witnesses there in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the ends of the world. Think of all the types of prejudices there are. There's racial prejudice, black and white, brown versus black and white, light skin versus dark skin. Let me let y'all on in on a little Latino secret. Would you like one? Mexicans don't like Cubans. Cubans don't like Puerto Ricans. It's a true story. You want to insult a Puerto Rican, call him a Mexican. We got some here. You, you, want to, you want to insult a Cuban? Call him a Puerto Rican. And they're all brown. They're all brown. Do you realize that in the last century, the two worst deaths that ever happened, a genocide of killing thousands, even <clears throat> excuse me, millions of people, it happened in Rwanda, where millions of blacks, Hutus, killed Tutsis. Go see Hotel Rwanda, the movie. 
And the greatest genocide is when more than two million Jews died in gas chambers and a white man named Hitler killed white people that were Jews. In Northern Ireland, the Catholics and the Protestants, both white, blowing each other up, setting bombs off, killing each other's children. There is every type of prejudice that you could imagine. There is national prejudice. Like I'm American. I'm proud to be an American because at least I know I'm free. There's economic prejudice, the rich and the poor. There's visual prejudice, the big versus the small. There's visual prejudice, the beautiful. Hello. I go to Ascension. I graduated from STM. Oh, really? I went to the Episcopal School of Acadiana. Good. I went to the Early College Academy. I was accepted at LSU. I was accepted at Tulane. I was accepted at Loyola. Okay, where are you from? Northside. Bro Bridge High. <laughs> I'm a rain wolf. There's regional prejudice. There's educated versus uneducated prejudice. How many of you hate prejudice? Let me ask you a question, honestly. Pastor David, give me one of those waters. How many, let me ask you a question. How many of you have experienced prejudice in one way or another in your lifetime? Raise your hand. I believe that most people think America invented prejudice. There's a lot of prejudice in America. Did prejudice begin in the 60s? No. When Martin Luther King was assassinated, I was 10 years old, and my father and I marched the streets of Houston when I was 10 years old. And you know what we were singing? We shall overcome. You know what we were doing? We were praying. You know what songs we sang one right after other with spiritual hymns asking God to help us and bless us. You know what we weren't doing? Burning down places and writing profanity all over the walls. And guess what? That changed America. Didn't make it perfect, but it changed America. Prejudice comes from three roots. Let me explain them to you. The first one is when someone is different than us. Someone is different than us. The second one is a prejudice of ignorance. Just, just ignorance. Just people are ignorant. They don't know. The word ignorant means unlearned. You just don't understand. How many of you have ever had somebody tell you about someone and you didn't even like them and you hadn't even met them yet? And then you met that person and you liked them more than the person that talked to you about them. Here's the next one. Jealousy. Come on, girls. A new good-looking girl came to school and you went, let's just, you call all your little girlfriends in the bathroom and said, let's hate her. Okay, jealousy. The three roots of prejudice are difference, ignorance, and jealousy. Now let's talk about the first act of prejudice. When was it, pastor, in the 60s? No. Was it in the early 1900s? No. Oh, was it in the founding of America? No. Oh, was it in Great Britain with slavery? No. The first act of prejudice happened in the Garden of Eden. 
where the divider in chief, what was his name? Satan came where Satan came and he lied to Adam and Eve and out of their ignorance, he made them jealous over something they couldn't have called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And they ate it. And when they did, they became separated from God. And do you know why he did it? Because he used to not be separated from God and sin separated him from God. So now he wanted to separate them from God because he was jealous over what they had that he would never have again. Do you know when the second act of prejudice was? Their two sons, one was named Cain and the other one was named Abel. And both of them came to offering time. One had sheep and he brought the best of his sheep and he gave as an offering to the Lord. The other one was a farmer and he took the leftovers of his crop, not the best, and he gave those to the Lord. That's where we get tithing from. One gave the first and the best, and the other one gave the worst and the leftovers. And God blessed Abel's offering of the best, and he didn't bless Cain's, and Cain was jealous over the blessing of God. And do you know what he did to his brother? Did they have the same skin color? Did they have the same last name? Did they have the same mom and daddy? But he killed him. He killed him. How many of you would like to know how he killed him? I'd love to tell you, but I'm not able. But I'll tell you this. Look right here. The first act of prejudice separated man from God, and the second act of prejudice separated man from his brother. And that's still the same plan of the enemy today, to separate us from God through hatred towards others, and then to separate us from our brothers and sisters. Satan is the one who is the divider in chief. He is the one who loves to do that. Jesus faced prejudice. Do you know that Jesus broke almost every religious rule there was? You weren't supposed to talk to women. He had women disciples. You weren't supposed to talk to Samaritans. He not only talked to a Samaritan, he talked to a Samaritan hooker. A woman at the well. Do you know that she was the first evangelist? The disciples go into Samaria to get food. Jesus is sitting out by a well. They're mad that they have to go into a city where they hate everybody in there. They come out and Jesus is talking to someone they hated more than anybody they ever saw out there. A hooker. And he reveals to her that he's the son of God and that he can forgive her sins. He tells her that she's had five husbands and the man she's living with now, she's not married to. And she turns around and runs into the city and calls the city out and says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And every man she ever was with came running out to see him. And do you know what? Samaria that day heard the gospel because of a prostitute who found the Savior because Jesus was willing to break every prejudice to bring men and women to himself. Jesus understood that he came to bring salvation to the world. How many of you have ever heard this term, the Jews are God's chosen people? I'm going to read you the scripture. Why? And you'll know it. So if you've ever heard that term, now you're going to know why. You might want to take a picture of it. It's Genesis chapter 12. God appears to Abraham and says this. Now the Lord has said to Abraham, get out of your country from your family and from your father's house to a land that I will show you. I will make you a what? Great nation and I will? 
and I will make your name great, and you shall be a blessing, and I will bless those who bless you, and I will curse those who, and in you all the families of the earth. Okay, the Jews forgot that part. They knew they were the chosen. They knew they were the favored. They knew they were the blessed, but they didn't know that God doesn't bless you so it'll end with you. God blesses you so you can be a blessing to somebody else. And that's why Jesus came from the Jews because through him, salvation was going to come to the whole world. To the whole world. There's been a lot of talk about who's privileged or who's not privileged. Look at me. There was not a more privileged person in the world than Jesus. But look right here. God doesn't want you to lose your privilege. He wants you to use your privilege. Use it for his kingdom. Use it to be a blessing to others. Can we clap if that's true? God wants you to be a blessing to others. He wants you to be a blessing to others. Listen. The world wants to play a a zero-sum game. You know what that means? In order for you to win, I got to lose. That's not the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God works on stewardship. It's not, America is not the land of equal outcome because we all start at different places. It should be at its best, the land of equal opportunity because that's what the Bible teaches. You can start off with one talent, but if you use it, you might end up with more talents than everybody else. Does that make sense? And so now Jesus recognizes he's teaching his disciples to do something and he begins to break all kinds of cultural norms. Look at what Galatians 3.26 says. For you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. For as many as you were baptized into Christ to put Christ on. For in Christ there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus, and if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So in the Jews' mind, here's what they had. There was the Jews, okay? Then there was the people who were far from God. That was the Greeks. Even with the Jews, women were secondary. A Jew got up and prayed every day and said, God, thank you that I was not born a Gentile, a woman, a Samaritan, or a dog. That was their class of people, and they hadn't even got to the slaves. And you know what Jesus did? Jesus came in, and he said, with the cross, I'm going to erase everything. And when we stand at the cross, there's two types of people, those that are lost and those that are found, all children of God. (laughs) Jesus broke every prejudice. And here's one of the things that we must discover, that we are not in culture. We are in Christ. Listen carefully. This simple question. How many of you know what nationality I am? Just a guess. Come on, not just because it's dinner time and you want Jewish. What am I? Mexican. Do you think I'm ashamed of being a Mexican? No, I'm proud of being a Mexican. I'm very proud of being a Mexican. How many of you have you heard me talk about being a Mexican? Okay, listen, I, I, don't, I don't apologize for being a Mexican, but I am not a Mexican who happens to be a Christian. I'm a born-again, blood-washed child of the living God that Christ lives inside of, and the tent happens to be brown. And I am made in the image of God, and if you don't like brown, you got a God problem. You don't have a Pastor Jacob problem. 
And if you don't like black, you have a God problem. And if you don't like white, you have a God problem because each one of us are made in the image of God himself. And every time you demean someone else, you actually demean the very image you're created in yourself. And I must recognize that I am in a new culture. I am a new king. And that because of that, in this new kingdom, Jesus becomes the king. And what defines me is not my external. What defines me is what's inside of me. The Christ that lives inside of me. I love this. He is king of my culture because he left the throne in heaven. He not only left the throne to become a man. Look right here. God became a baby. Helpless. Couldn't feed himself. Couldn't clothe himself. Couldn't protect himself. God became a baby so that you and I could be helplessly dependent upon him. Someone said it like this. When God became flesh, when Jesus became flesh, imagine going to the smallest trailer you've ever been in and then going into the closet in that trailer and locking the door and you're there by yourself. Thanks again for joining us today. If you'd like to learn more about Our Savior's Church or how to get involved, visit us online at OurSavior'sChurch.com.